Join us in a deep dive into the world of neurodiversity and how it affects the way that we plan, set goals, and find our sense of purpose. Today's guest is really exciting. Having this conversation with her was a real joy. Our guest is Alyssa Herzinger. She is a multi-talented actor, writer, and creative researcher, and she brings her unique journey with late-diagnosed ADHD and autism to the forefront. Alyssa's insights will have you reshaping the way that you understand these conditions, and she's here to share her experiences. So whether you're neurodivergent or neurotypical, understanding your brain is key to achieving your dreams. And Alyssa's story is an inspiring testament to the power of self-acceptance and embracing your own unique path. Tune in. It's going to be a deep, insightful, and delightful conversation on planning with purpose. Let's do this. Do you want to feel less scattered and more focused, but the idea of goal setting sounds like adding more pressure to your already pressure-filled life? If so, welcome to the Plan Goal Plan Podcast. I'm Danielle McGee. I'm a professor, mom, planner addict, and recovering overachiever. After years of hustle and grind, I was tired of trying harder. I was ready to try easier. At the intersection of research, practice, and play, I found a purposeful path to planning and goal setting that is fun, simple, and sustainable. If you're ready to try easier, if you're ready to make memories and do meaningful work, grab a pen. I will equip you with tools and practices to clarify purpose, reclaim time, and achieve goals playfully and lightly. Let's get started. There are challenges, strengths, and unique perspectives that come with ADHD and autism that can affect how we plan, set goals, and our sense of purpose. And so today's guest, I'm so excited to have her here with us, is Alyssa Herzinger. She is a multi-talented actor, writer, and creative researcher. But what makes her a perfect fit for our show is her remarkable journey with late-diagnosed ADHD and autism. And she has been sharing her experiences on Instagram, offering invaluable insights into these neurodiverse conditions. I'm so excited to have you here, Alyssa. Welcome, welcome, welcome. How are you today? Thank you so much. I'm good. I'm really excited to be here. Yeah, I'm in a a, a very fun, like frazzled, very ADHD kind of mode right now. So we're we're in it. Awesome. I'm excited to jump in it. So I know from watching your Instagram stories that you're a fantastic storyteller. And I know that that's part of part of your job, right? And part of your work, you know, that makes sense given your experiences as an actor and a writer as well. So could you tell us just a little bit about your story? Yeah, storytelling has always been a part of my life. I was I always loved theater and I loved writing and I was always doing that as a kid. And then when I got to college, I decided I needed to be practical, which somehow looked like changing my major seven times, transferring schools, doing a couple study abroads, taking six years to get a bachelor's. But I learned a lot. And as my mother always told me when I thought about dropping out, no learning is ever wasted. And that has like served me so well ever since then. After I graduated, I kind of hopped through a lot of different jobs, which looking back, it's very obvious that I had ADHD. And then after a few years in a marketing agency, I realized I was just sort of, I felt dead inside without the creative side of my life anymore. And I applied to go to drama school. I did a master's in acting musicianship uh, here in London, where I am now. I've been here for five years, which is wild. A couple of years ago, was during one of the COVID lockdowns. One of my very best friends got diagnosed with ADHD. And then she said, Alyssa, you might want to look into this. <laughs> 
so I I read a few books and I started fo- following a lot of people on social media. And that was really the most helpful thing of realizing that, oh, like all of these experiences and things I've struggled with are not just me. It's also it's also not everyone. So like it's the kind of thing where you don't know other people's experiences. So you don't know what might be harder for you than other people's like, oh, this is just normal. So yeah, so I self-diagnosed with ADHD first and then here in the UK went through the NHS system. So it took a, a very long time to get officially diagnosed, went through that. And now that's been two years since that official diagnosis. And I'm still learning every day. About a year later, I self-diagnosed with autism as well, which is an interesting bit for me. I'm still kind of hesitant to say that one out loud since it's only a self-diagnosis. And while I fully believe in self-diagnosis, it doesn't feel valid for me. I just want to be kind of conscious of that. And when I share that information, I, I think that's where I am. And as far as social media, again, thank you for your really kind words. That has kind of come about as a total fluke, really. I um, I had been working at a company that was for ADHD people by people with ADHD. And then in one of my meetings, I was like effectively told to mask all of my autistic traits, which I had intentionally been trying to unmask at this company. So I kind of made a reel about that and it just blew up. And then I was like, well, I guess I will talk about this some more. So yeah, it's been a really amazing several months. Like such an honor to to get messages from people of how, how it helps them feel seen, which is exactly how I felt when I found these accounts. I think that people do need to hear these stories. People are craving to hear these stories because chances are, you know, if you don't have ADHD or autism, there's probably someone that you love in your life that does. And Mm -hmm. learning to think in the way that they think, right? How do you empathize with a brain that's different than your own? I I had a student a few years ago who was doing amazing research, kind of arguing. So he's autistic and arguing that people with autism are very capable of empathy, right? Like you're a writer and a storyteller and you can't tell stories. And, you know, his argument was, well, that's because you're expecting us to empathize in the way that neurotypical people do. We do empathize. It's just that we empathize with people that have things like our own. And and I was like so intrigued by his research. And he had some really wonderful theoretical backing to his argument and, you know, really, really fascinating work. But I I do think that people are craving to like learn these things because we want to be able to, one, move through our lives the best that we can, but also to be able to interact with the people that we love in a way that supports them. And so I know that one thing is that you did learn that you had ADHD later in life. And I really appreciate your reels that address the emotional experience of a late diagnosis. But you've also mentioned that that influences the way that you set and approach goals. Could you could you maybe discuss how understanding your brain has impacted the types of goals that you set and your overall goal setting process? It's still very much a work in progress. And I think it always will be with one of the things of ADHD, especially being needing novelty to stay interested and engaged and motivated. So the goals change. And then also the way I set goals changes. Like I was always really goal oriented growing up. I had lists of goals. I was like, I will do this. I'll do this. And that was how I found my sense of self and my sense of achievement. And I did achieve a lot of them, but it was like grinding, wearing myself down to my skeleton to get them done. And then I would do it and be like, oh, I don't feel good. Or like, I thought this would make me feel confident or like a real person. And I don't. So now I have to go on to the next goal, I guess. I think part of what I have found in life for myself, as well as with being neurodivergent, is that I need to set goals based on how they will make me feel or something that is a direction more than a set point of a goal. Like once I've done this, the goal is achieved because that doesn't happen in 
in life, at least for me. So some of the things that I found really, really useful, I'm constantly reading always, always the self-help, the personal development stuff. And one of them that's been really useful in the last year comes from a book called Playing Big. And I forget the author's name, but she's great. And she talks about leaps and they are goals that you can accomplish within a two week period. And if it will take you longer than that, then that is not a leap and you have to break it down smaller. And so like a two week time frame is something I can hold in my brain and I can be like, yeah, you know what? I'm going to prep this song and sing it at an open mic in the next two weeks. Or I can write this article and have it out in two weeks. If it's bigger than that, it's too big for my brain. And then that also gives you that sense of achievement. Like, oh, I did this leap. And she also says to only plan like maximum three leaps ahead because as you do each one, that will lead you to the next thing. So it's that trusting that taking is also what like Anna in Frozen to like, just do the next right thing. But if you do this leap, that will lead you to the next one. So you, you just have to trust a little bit and be like, oh yeah, if I do this, it's the right direction. I will trust that. And so it's kind of like sailing as well, which I don't do, but metaphors where you're tacking towards the destination. So it's not a straight line. You go diagonally, you zig and zag. And maybe on one of the zags, you find out that your destination is actually a different spot than you thought. And you wouldn't have known that if you hadn't done those, those zigzags. Because I do think that thinking about goal as a direction, as opposed to a destination is incredibly helpful because what it does is it also allows you to make adjustments as you go. Yes. And those adjustments just need to keep moving you in a direction. But like your end goal does have the ability then to adapt with what your life is presenting to you. So I really like the way that thinking about goal as direction as opposed to destination, the way that it, it allows you to move forward without necessarily being really rigid about things. And it allows for adaptation and flexibility that I personally think, I mean, it's really important for people that are neurodivergent, but I personally think it's just like how life works. Totally. Oh. Yeah, things don't work out the way we plan them. Absolutely not. I mean, I think you should still plan because I think mm -hmm. that it, I think it's helpful to plan, mm -hmm. but to also recognize that, it, you know, it's kind of like you talking with your mom about schooling, right? <laughs> the idea is like no learning is lost and yet it's not about necessarily getting done with school in a certain amount of time or doing a particular thing with the degree that you have, but it's about it's about what you learn in the process. And I, I kind of think that it's really similar with goals that it's if you can make it more process oriented. And I love that like narrowing down because I'm always like zoom out, zoom in, zoom out, zoom in, mm -hmm. zoom out, zoom in. And and that really works pretty well for me. How how do you do that? Or what advice would you have for my listeners that are maybe trying to align their goals with their own their own brain, their own makeup? Yeah, it's it's really, really personal. And I think I think that's the biggest thing I have learned is that all the advice out there might not work for you. And if it doesn't, that's okay. And you're not a failure. So you don't have to pigeon yourself into things where it's like so much advice is, you know, if you want to be a billionaire, you have to have this morning routine or you have to habit stack and all this. And it's like, I tried all of that for so long and it just made me feel like a failure all the time. So it's like, oh, I can't do this. I'll never do that. When actually, Actually, I could probably just take a different route and who knows what the destination will be, but I will feel a lot better about it. And for me right now, what's really working is kind of thinking of my life in the different categories. So with my brain, I need to have like a lot of plates spinning or else I just feel like too slow. I need to be able to bounce between things. So I have like a post-it wall in my room of it's it's separated into like life admin, creative work, money work, relationships and fun things. And then I 
I have it by like this week and a column from the top and then this month and then future. And I don't worry about the future too much, but I move them into this week and this month if I need to. And so I'd have them in their different streams and like, oh, you know what? The creative stream has been ignored lately. Let's like work on the play I'm writing or, oh, I think I need to make more money. <laughs> so like, what do I need to do here? And I can, having that flexibility lets me use the energy and the motivation that I have when I have it rather than forcing myself to say, oh, at 8 a.m. on Mondays, I do this. Because sometimes at 8 a.m. on Monday, I need to be asleep. And I've been really, really lucky now to be able to structure my life in a way that really supports that flexibility. So I, I have my acting work and I have my writing work and I have freelance kind of operations of project management work and they all work together. They're all remote, which is also really key for me. And so it's, yeah, it's that personal thing of allowing yourself to disregard advice when it doesn't help you. I mean, I feel like one of the most important things when it comes to planning is, you know, I call it planning for clarity is the first sort of step that I take my clients through. And it really is how can you create some rituals of learning about yourself? Because before you can set goals, before you can establish some of these things, you just have to learn about yourself. And it is how do you how do you have the awareness to notice that it is 8 a.m. on a Monday and what you need is to sleep and that that is the best thing for you. And I'm, I'm working with someone right now, too, where I think that what we're engaging in is more energy management than it is time management. And mm -hmm. so it is like, OK, you just have these blocks of time. And unlike in tom time blocking, where you would say during this block, I do these things. It's that you just know that you have these different blocks and that you're going to have to fill those blocks with a creative stream and a financial stream and a social stream. But then where you actually put those things, you can move around yes. and you can follow your energy. And that there's like so much freedom in that. And mm, so I, I really good. like, I really like, you know, I love the idea of thinking about the streams also, like as I'm a person who's very tactile. So I like love that you have all of these things on your wall that makes me wildly happy. Yeah, if they're not visible, they are forgotten. Absolutely. And I think that, you know, that is, I, I said about this several times on the podcast, but one of the things that gets me is that so many approaches to either home organization or even to like planning might mean, you know, using an app that you have to pull up first or yeah. it's not always visible on your screen. And so like for me, a lot of digital planning doesn't work. I do like it for appointments and sharing my schedule with other people. But like for to-do lists, if I have to run an extra step to bring it into my visibility, I'm not going to pay attention. Like I'm not going to pay attention Absolutely. to it. I need to have it like on a sticky note right on my computer or I actually have a little place to set my planner with my to-do list open all of the time. Mm -hmm. It's so, so important to me. I know that this isn't uncommon for people to experience moments where motivation dwindles. And I know that particularly for people with ADHD, feeling motivated, having that novelty, that excitement around something is so important in order to activate your executive functioning skills. So are there are there particular strategies or mindset shifts that have helped you reignite your passion or motivation for your goals? How do you get your brain to be interested when it's feeling disinterested? Yeah, that is the, the golden ticket question. It is so hard. This is something where like learning about ADHD and getting the diagnosis allowed me to give myself so much more grace because before I would just beat myself up and be like, you love this. Why don't you want to do it? Why aren't you doing it? And now that I'm like, oh, it's my brain. 
I can be like, oh, okay, maybe this is, I don't think I've ever been able to force myself back into motivation, which is another part of ADHD and autism with like demand avoidance. Like it's even demands from myself. So Mm -hmm. I can't just say, okay, look, you got to do this. You got to be interested. I I won't be. And something that has just really helped me has just been like, you know, maybe this is a moment where I'm just not interested and I just need to like hibernate. Maybe this is a rest period. Maybe I need to let myself get inspiration from something else. In in the moments I've had like that, which there have been a lot over the last few years, I have let myself, you know, like binge a TV show for a couple of days, right? Like I'm in a state of life where I can do that or go back and reread books I loved as a kid or go go on artist dates, like from the artist's way and just find sparks from somewhere else. And I always think about Austin Kleon when I think about this because he's the author of Steal Like an Artist. And one of the things he talks about is letting your books talk to each other. And I feel like it's such an such an ADHD idea where you can be reading books about totally different things, but then they seep together in your mind and you're like, oh, this applies to this in ways that you would never have thought of. And so finding inspiration in these things that are totally unrelated to the thing you need to be doing might help you spark your brain back to that thing. And sometimes it really is just like a task you have to do today. And so if it's something smaller like that, a lot of times for me, it's just making sure I have the right level of like sensory and mental stimulation. So a lot of times I'm, I find myself avoiding a task because I know it's not mentally challenging enough and it's too boring to start. So maybe I put on Gilmore Girls because I've watched it 5,000 times. It's not going to take my focus to know what's going on, but it will entertain enough of my brain that the rest of my brain can do the boring task. So yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think that my brain's going all over the place right now, making connections between the things that you're saying. And I do think that that is a huge ADHD superpower is the ability to take all of these like diverse things that other people might see as separate and you can find connections and let them speak to each other. And I'm a huge fan of interdisciplinary scholarship and research. And I think that a lot of that is because I'm so excited about creating conversations between ideas in different fields and disciplines of knowledge. And I think that ADHD brains are so incredibly good at that. But, you know, I also wanted to kind of go back to you talking about giving yourself grace. I mean, one, there's tons of research that says that actually to accomplish goals, taking the pressure off is a really important thing. And that actually, you know, none of us have bullied ourselves into being amazing. But that also when you are living with people with ADHD to remember that sometimes they really want to do things, you really, really want to. They're just struggling to ignite that executive functioning that allows Mm -hmm. them to activate that. Because, you know, after we had kids, my husband and I were both so sleep deprived. And, you know, any so that what what was really happening is my anxiety was spiking because I wasn't sleeping enough. His ADHD was showing all sorts of symptoms because he wasn't sleeping Mm -hmm. enough. And, you know, I would sort of be like, don't you care about me? You haven't done the laundry. And he'd be like, I really want to do the laundry. And I'm like, then just do it. And like such a it's such a relief in your relationship when you can go like this isn't because they don't want to help me. This isn't because he doesn't want to do the laundry. 
angry and he's being defiant. This is him really wanting to do it and not being able to. And it's not personal. And knowing that and being able to recognize how that was impacting how we were navigating things in our relationship in our home was so helpful. And I think that if we hadn't had knowledge about each other's brains and each other's, you know, like, you know, his ADHD and my, I was dealing with postpartum anxiety. I just can imagine how like that could have, you know, like that could have really unraveled our our marriage. And so, you know, how important it is relationally to learn these things and, and adjust the way that we interpret each other's behavior in light of how how our brains work. So uh, we've talked about this just a little bit, but neurodiversity often calls for pretty unique approaches to planning and goal setting. Are there any strategies that you use? You've mentioned a few of them already, but to kind of make sure that you have flexibility within the plans? Yeah, absolutely. And Again, it's it's always a work in progress, I think, and then always finding new things that work as well for that novelty aspect. What I'm currently doing and is working for now is, you know, I have a loose end date for a lot of my goals or a strict end date if there's an external reason for it. And trusting myself that I will have enough moments of focus and energy and motivation before then to get done what I need to. I think so much of my life and so much of everyone's life, and especially people with neurodiversity, are, are used to not not trusting themselves because they haven't been able to do things the way they were expected to. But I find that the more I trust my brain and my body, like I know what I need to do and I can do it if I let myself do it the way I'm meant to. This really came out for me during the first COVID lockdown. Actually, I was living in like an attic by myself. I was just alone for months and I realized that my anxiety levels were actually way down and I shifted my sleep patterns because it didn't matter when I was awake or asleep. So I started working from like 10 p.m. to 4 a.m. a lot of the times. I write, I wrote my whole master's dissertation like that. And I was like, what is happening? Like I had the most creative time of my entire life. Like I wrote this whole album. I wrote this dissertation. I was doing all these things. And I was like, this is amazing. How has this never happened before? I was like, oh, it's because I'm just letting my brain do what it wants. And like that sort of flexibility has been harder to find outside of lockdown. And obviously COVID had, I mean, it was a horrible experience for everyone in the world. But I I'm also trying to find ways to allow myself that level of like solitary time to just create and experiment and be with myself. As far as other other things, I've had to be willing to take risks, which again, I'm lucky and like privileged enough to be in a place to take these risks where I, even when I was working remotely, I had a job with set hours and I decided to go freelance which comes with its own set of stressors of like, oh, where is the job coming from next month? But being able to be in control of my hours has been huge. Like, again, I can work from my bed at midnight and my clients get their work the next day and it works out for everyone rather than being like, oh, I need to be at my computer at these hours. So I work when I'm productive and that's the most important thing for me. Yes. And I love I love that being able to adapt. And I also love that you mentioned, I want to kind of call attention to this, that you mentioned that this is what's working for you for now. And I think that that is such an important thing because I do think that there's techniques that we can put into place and they work for a period 
period of time and then they stop working. And it's not that that thing, that that technique isn't effective. It's just that you might need to try something new for a little bit. And then you might be surprised a year or two later, you might go back to that other thing that worked for you. And so having, you know, for me, I have some reflective practices in place where I can assess, hey, is this working for me anymore? Do I need to switch things up? You know, do I need to add some novelty? Maybe it's just like I need to start, you know, degrading my planner with stickers again or, you know, something totally fun and that's going to get me excited about it. Or I I give myself permission to buy a new planner every six months instead Mm. of every year because there's something about having even just a different layout that will spark my brain to start functioning in a different way. And so I give myself permission to go like what works now is working now, but you need to have enough tools in your toolbox that when this stops working, you need to be able to recognize it quick, make adjustments and find something else that works. And mm-hmm. and that's been like such a I mean, it's, it's exhausting to have to constantly adapt. Like I'm like mm-hmm. so in awe of people that are like, I've been using the same planner seven years. You're like, that's wild. <laughs> but like I also I found ways to make that fun, you know, mm-hmm. that the adaptation is like a fun experimentation. I also just want to say that like as a I know that you're a theater person and an actor, you know, in performance, the idea that you trust the process, like there are moments where rehearsing for a show where you're like, all right, we're going to just show up and we're going to do some things. And at the end, we're going to hope that there's something we can invite an audience into. And mm-hmm. I, I kind of feel like what you were describing with like your work habit, right, is that like yeah. you have to trust yourself that there is a process. And at the end, you're going to have made something. Yeah. my The other wall in my room is covered with post-its and like huge sheets of paper for the show I'm trying to write, which again has been like, I am not writing this in a linear way, but hopefully this process is going somewhere. Yeah. And, and like then you're, you let your brain just work on the parts that it wants to work on. And trust that at some point you'll, you'll be able to put it together like a puzzle. But like yes. right now, it's like all over the place. You know that your brain, though, has those connect the dots superpower. And eventually those dots will get connected. You know, if my listeners wanted to be able to connect with you, how could they do that? If they wanted to watch these reels, learn from you, read your writing, how could they do that? So my website is alinger.com. My Instagram is alyssa.zing. And yeah, those are the main ways you can email me through my website. I would love to connect with any of your listeners. I, you have such a great audience of people. It's such a wonderful network you've created. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you so much for today. It was a joy to get to spend a little bit of time inside your brain. I appreciate it. Thank you. If this podcast has inspired you, guided you, or just made you laugh, the number one way that you can thank me is by leaving a written review for the show over on Apple Podcast. I'm seriously tickled every time that I hear from you all. So pop onto Instagram and follow Plan Go Plan and digital message me. I want to say hello. I want to geek out about all things planning and goal setting. Keep sensing the possibilities, y'all.